everyone. I'm Jensine Bard, and welcome to Testimony, where truth is told, lives are changed, and hope is given. Revelation 12:11 tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. A testimony of your story for His glory. He's a best-selling author, TV and radio host of his own shows, American Minute and Faith in History, respectively, Dr. Ben Carson, presidential candidate and retired brain surgeon, had this to say about my next guest, which probably sums it up best, and I quote, I am so grateful for people such as former congressional candidate William Federer, who has done extraordinary research to uncover documents revealing the true sentiments and beliefs of our founders, end quote. This, ladies and gentlemen, written in his own book, America the Beautiful, Rediscovering What Made This Nation Great. And now, back with us today in an exclusive National Religious Broadcasters special, recorded live in Nashville, is again historian and author of his latest, Rise of the Tyrant, Volume 2 of Change to Chains, The 6,000-Year Quest for Global Control. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome, always an honor, William J. Federer. Bill, welcome back to Testimony. Well, it's great to be with you. Well, it's great to have you, Bill, face to face. Bill, when you first shared your amazing story with us on Testimony, you recounted how God literally drew you into what you are doing today. So for our brief time here today, would you begin to share your latest great read, Rise of the Tyrant, and how you view where we are in history today. And in this election year, Bill Federer, please tell us that story. Well, Arthur Schlesinger Jr. was a Pulitzer Prize winning historian on John F. Kennedy's staff. And he said, history is to the nation what memory is to the individual. So have you ever met an individual who's lost their memory? Maybe they have Alzheimer's, they forgot who they are, they forgot who you are. It's easy to take advantage of them. Well, in America, we've lost our memory. Here we are, the freest and most prosperous country with more individual liberty and opportunity of any nation that has ever existed on planet Earth. And we forgot how we got here. And as a result, we're letting it slip through our fingers like sand. And so people say, well, America's the greatest country. I decided to prove it. So I spent several years researching every civilization that has ever existed on the planet. And I found some interesting things. One is that human records appear about around three or 4,000 BC. Writing was invented, uh, Sumerian cuneiform on clay tablets in the Mesopotamian Valley, around three or 4,000 BC. And we're around 2080, so three or 4,000 BC, 2080, that's five or 6,000 years of recorded human history. And 6,000 years is really not that long. It's only 60 people living 100 years each, back to back. And have you ever met someone who's lived 100 years or close to it? Well, you know maybe a grandmother. We're talking 60 grandmothers and you're all the way back to the beginning of recorded human history. So it's not that long. So the question I, I asked was, what is the most common form of government in all of these 6,000 years? What do the records show? Well, Nimrod, Pharaohs, Cyrus the Great, Darius, uh, Indi Indian Maharajas, Chinese emperors, 
uh, Alexander the Great, uh, Julius Caesar, Byzantine emperors, Muslim sultans, African chieftains, Montezuma, Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun. It's kings. The most power, common form of government is kings. And I think it goes back to the fall in the garden and selfishness coming into the human DNA. So um, when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, then you have Cain killing Abel and one king taking a kingdom from another king. And so you put some babies in a playpen, one of them will take the rattle from the others. Put some kids on a playground, one of them is the bully hogging the ball. Put some people in the woods, one of them is the Indian chief, and put them in an inner city, one of them is the gang leader. And all a king is, in a sense, is a glorified gang leader, right? And it's this hierarchical system where if you're friends with the king, you're more equal. You're not friends with the king, you're less equal. You're an enemy of the king, you're dead. It's called treason. So for most of world history, equality was how close of an orbit can you get to the king. And as these centuries go on, the kings get bigger till finally the biggest kingdom the planet has seen was the king of England. The sun never set on the British Empire. He controlled all of India, a quarter of the world's population right there. Discovered the Sandwich Islands, Hawaii and Hong Kong and New Zealand and Australia and Canada and British Guyana, Barbados, Jamaica and America. And our founders want to break away from this most powerful king. We have no army, no navy, just a bunch of courageous people with faith. And so when we had a chance to set up a government, our founders wanted to run as far away from a king as possible. They took the power of a king, broke it into three branches, separated it federal to state level. And then they tied up this federal Frankenstein with 10 handcuffs called the first 10 amendments. So all our constitution is, in a sense, is a bunch of hurdles to prevent the rubber band from snapping back into the hands of a king. And so America's founders began to look through history for examples of people ruling themselves without a king. They looked at the Athenian democracy, the Roman Republic, but ultimately they looked back to Israel. That's right. It took nine states to ratify the U.S. Constitution. They had eight. New Hampshire was the ninth. They had a deadlock. And at their convention, they had Harvard President Samuel Langdon give an address. Republic of the Israelites, an example to the American states. Well, the address worked. They voted to ratify it. And the U.S. Constitution went into effect because New Hampshire was the ninth state. So what was this Republic of the Israelites, an example of the American states? Lo and behold, Israel is the first example in history of a nation being ruled without a king. So around 1400 BC, Israel comes out of Egypt, they go into the promised land, those first 400 years, no king. Everyone is equal before the law. The law says there's no respect of persons in judgment, rich or poor, everyone is the same. Male, female, made in the image of the creator. Lo and behold, this is the beginning of the concept of equality on planet earth. That everyone you see is equal to you, there's no royal family to butter up next to. Israel's the first nation with private land ownership. All those boring chapters in the Bible where they did surveys and lots and divided up the land. You see, wherever there's a king, you never really own the land. It's always conditional of you staying on the nice side of the king. Right. In Israel, the land was permanently titled to the families. If they got in a pinch and sold it every 50 years, it reverted back to the family. This prevented a dictator from gathering up all the land and putting the people back into slavery. And if you, can, if you can control land, you can accumulate stuff. The Bible called that being blessed. Karl Marx called it being a capitalist. That stuff, you saved it, right? Israel's the first nation with no standing army. You got a king, he's got an army to enforce his will. In Israel, every man was in the militia and armed and ready at a moment's notice to defend his community. Israel's the first nation with no prisons, like in Egypt where you'd rot away for three years. You know, Joseph, well, in Israel, they had immediate justice at the gate of a city, city of refuge you could run away to. 
And Israel was the first nation with a, a bureaucracy-free welfare system. So instead of you selling your soul to the Pharaoh in exchange for some grain, in Israel, when you harvested your field, you left the gleanings for the poor people to pick through. This way, the poor were taken care of without some bureaucrat collecting all the money and doling it back out to those who can help them get reelected. And Israel was the first nation that could read. That's right, those Sumerian cuneiform, there were 1,500 cuneiform characters. I don't know, it's hard to memorize 1,500 anything, but it was only for the kings and the scribes. It started as an accounting method. The first invention was a plow. People started hitting each other with it, so it turned into weapons, and so they gravitated together into cities for protection. And when you get people together, someone is the one who starts telling everybody else what to do. And this eventually turned into hereditary monarchies, and these kings claimed to be superior, and they owned everything, and they would want accountants to keep track. And so in uh, China, they developed a way of counting with knots and ropes. But in Sumeria, it was tokens in little dishes. And then they made markings in the tokens. Like you ever tally, you know, you do the one, two, three, four with lines, and then you draw a line across for five. That was the beginning of writing. But it was 1,500 characters, and it was only for the kings and their scribes because the king was the only guy that owned anything. And then his genealogies and astrologies and so forth, his decrees. In Egypt, they had 3,000 hieroglyphic characters, and it was only for the pharaohs and their scribes. As a matter of fact, the scribes kept the hieroglyphs complicated on purpose as job security. They were needed to interpret them. When Moses came down the mountain, he had the law in a 22-character alphabet that was so easy to learn, the entire nation could read. Israel is the first instance in world history of an entire nation where everyone could read. And not only could they read, they were required to read because the law was addressed to each person. And so Israel had no police because everyone was taught the law, everyone enforced the law. And it worked great. You see, the dilemma is that every person is born with selfishness. And it's like every computer you buy is preloaded with a virus. And you have to immediately take it to a computer tech to have the virus cleaned off. And so every little kid is born and with the selfies, they have to take them to the, to the Levite and the priest and they say, okay, you want to steal? The law says don't steal. We're going to recode that. Uh, you want to commit adultery? Okay, the, the law says we're going to recode it. Don't commit adultery. You, you want to you know, murder? Well, okay, we're going to recode that. Don't murder. What Israel was attempting to do was counter human nature, and it worked as long as the priest taught it for 400 years until finally the priest stopped teaching the law. Here's Eli, the high priest. His own sons are sleeping with women in the tent of meeting with the Lord. Hello. And then you have a Levite with a graven image in a house of a guy named Micah. And the tribe of Dan comes along and takes the Levite and the graven image. And they're like going off and you're scratching your head thinking, what's this Levite doing with a graven image? Isn't that like the second commandment? Thou shalt not make any graven image. And then you have this terrible story of a Levite with a concubine. The law says the Levite is to marry a virgin of his own tribe. Here he is with a woman he's not even married to. He's traveling. They're in a house. They're surrounded by sodomites. Something about that behavior that appears at the last stages of a people ruling themselves without a king. And they're, the sodomites are banging on the door. The Levite shoves the poor girl out. She gets raped all night, dies. He comes out the next day, chops her body in 12 pieces, sends it to the 12 tribes of Israel. They all get together. They kill the sodomites. And by the time you're grossed out, you read this line that says, every man did what was right in their own eyes. Why did they all do what was right in their own eyes? Because the priests had stopped teaching them what was right in the Lord's eyes. Wow. So the whole thing fell apart. 
And so in America, our founders said, hey, we want the people to rule themselves without a king. It works as long as the pastors are out there teaching God's word. But when they don't, the whole thing begins to fall apart. And you get rid of this God, you have riots in the street, and people say, government, please step in with your militarized police and restore order. Government comes in, collect everybody's guns. Yeah, they restore order, but when the dust settles, you'll just have transitioned from ruling yourself back to a king. Are we there today, Bill Federer? We're getting very close. And I think all these riots that we're seeing around the country, some think that all of these Muslims the president's bringing in, are we being set up for an Arab Spring? Simultaneous Baltimore's Ferguson's and riots, maybe building up to a head before the next election. And then they're going to say, the president needs to declare a national emergency. And the temptation is going to be, okay, we're going to come in and, and have power reconcentrate and, again, fundamentally transform our gun government from the people ruling themselves to a king. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to author, historian, and television host of Faith in History and the nationally syndicated American Minute radio broadcast. You can learn more about William Federer's work, ministry, and mission by going to AmericanMinute.com and get his book, Rise of a Tyrant. Get informed and get involved in turning our nation around for God and not against it. Bill, it's always a pleasure. Your life, your work, your passion, and your faith are proof that Jesus reigns, not only in our hearts, but in our government, if we let him. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Testimony is a global broadcast made possible by the generous contributions of our valued partners at Jensen Bard Ministries and you, our listening audience. Together, we are reaching souls for Christ, one testimony at a time. If you would like information on how you can support this broadcast with your tax-deductible gift, please visit us at jensenbard.com. That's one word, J-E-N-S-I-N-E-B-A-R-D.com. And join the conversation at our Facebook page, Testimony with Jensine Bard. Thank you for listening, and please join us again for Testimony. Testimony.